Good morning, everyone. I think I'm like a minute early, but that, that'll make up for those times when I'm like a minute late, okay? <laughs> we'll go ahead and get started this morning. We are looking at Matthew chapter 4, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. Uh, do appreciate everybody being here this morning, and had a good trip down at my mom's for Thanksgiving, so, but that's why we weren't here, and then Wednesday night, I'm sorry, I was, I was sick, and uh, that was just a middle of the week thing kind of happened to me Tuesday and Wednesday, so, uh, before we get started this morning, if uh, you will, please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, we thank you and praise you for this day you've given us, Father, we know that... <laughs> All good things come from you. We know that we are eternally blessed in Christ, your son. We praise you and thank you for him and for him coming here and giving us eternal salvation. Father, we ask, Father, that you would lead and guide us in this study this morning. Father, help reveal your word to us and teach us what you want us to know, Father, so that we can live lives according to your will and your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. So if we look at chapter 4, now this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 11. I'm not going to read all the verses before. We're just going to pick up from there. Remember, uh, Jesus went out in the wilderness. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he's gone through the temptations. And he has basically told Satan to get out of here. He says, uh, you know, away with you, Satan, right? So chapter 4, verse 11, then the devil left him. And behold, angels came and ministered to him. Whether or not you like this picture, this was the only representation I could find of that that I thought was, eh, okay. So there we go. That's our ministering angels. Now, why do you think angels came and ministered to him at this point? You may have any number. Yes. He had endured a lot. Right, he needed to be strengthened spiritually and maybe emotionally or mentally, yeah. Yeah, Matt? I mean, if you take the, the picture at face value, he was fasting for a really long time, so he would have been hungry. Yes. He didn't uh, go into those temptations to make bread out of stones and all that, but uh, perhaps the angels were helping partly to his physical needs. Right, maybe, maybe the angels were helping with his physical needs. Forty days without food would be a long time. Dan? His father... That's right. God sent these angels to help him recover, right, from this long ordeal, this temptation, this fasting and temptation. So that that's good, Matt. So it kind of also demonstrates, you know, Jesus isn't just stuck alone. He's not just some guy that made good decisions with these temptations, but he actually is the Son of God and he has all the support from Right. It does reinforce the idea that he's the son of God. He has all that support from the heavenly beings that they are his ministering angels to come to him. Did you have something, Maddie, or were you just? No. Okay. Well, I did, but it left. Oh, it left. I'm sorry. <laughs> I know the feeling sometimes. Okay. So, yeah, you know, Jesus had, he's, he's passed this test, right? He had to pass that test that, uh, that Adam and Eve had failed. So he's passed that test and now, he gets this relief, and the word for ministered here is a form of the same word that we get deacon from, so it's just a servant. They were just serving him, helping him. That was the idea. 
So uh, does that, you know, does that seem familiar? Does that ever, maybe not exactly like that, but does that seem familiar like we experience similar things in ways, just as a lesson for us? What you have? Uh-huh. Well, that's right. Elijah, God sent the ravens to feed him, right? Yeah. Yeah, and they would be servants in a way, right? Yeah, man. Well, maybe generally in the idea that just like we should say, you know, the Lord will provide. And Abraham said that, right? About, yes. About the, sacrifice. the Lord you know, will provide. To the extent we have the attitude the Lord will provide, He always does. We're, you know, we might go through some difficult times, but there might be uh, members of the church or members of our family or even strangers sometimes that can help us do. Right, and we may go through some difficult times. And and that's where I, that's where I was thinking too. Sometimes we may go through some difficult times, some times of trial. Um, and after we've gone through that thing, you know, maybe we've learned that lesson that we needed to learn. Sometimes our trials are about learning to rely on God, learning to have that faith, and then we receive that blessing. And again, I'm just looking at Jesus as our example. He's setting the example for us. He goes through these trials and temptations. And he's blessed, and the Father confirms it with a heavenly response, right? These angels are a heavenly response to that, ministering to him. So, then we have to ask, do we expect to see angels in our lives? I, I would say no. I'll just tell you, if you, didn't, if you didn't understand where I was going there, I'm, I'm saying no. I don't think we should, uh, at least not heavenly angels, when we look at the, the meaning of the word angel, we'll understand it a little bit better, but, but angels, they played important roles in the Gospels and in the Old Testament, and in Revelation, we see them. Um, they announced Jesus' birth, and they announced his resurrection, but then we say, well, where are the angels of today? Yes? I would say you more expect God to work through other people to help us. Right. <laughs> Right, that's what, and that's what I'm thinking of. We, we are the angels of today, right? We're God's messengers. Um, we're his messengers and servants in this world to this world, to the people in this world. We're sent here to deliver his message of love and hope through Christ and through the Bible, right? So that's what I was thinking too. That's what I was, uh, where I was heading with that. I didn't know if anyone else had any other idea on that. But uh, we are the angels here on the earth today. Well, the angels that people say, I saw an angel, he told me to do this and this, you know, so and so forth. God says, prove those things. You know, if it comes to pass, then maybe you can believe it. But, but you know, people go on all kinds of signs and wonders, but they don't take God's word for it. Yeah, and we're warned not to go by these signs and wonders and not to believe even if we see an angel of light because Satan can deceive us through that, right? Now, if you had a heavenly vision, as long as everything goes along with exactly what's in the Bible, which then there would be no reason for that visitation because everything's already in the Bible, but that's the only way it would be true. Man, I'm sorry. Yeah, and I was thinking of the same thing in Galatians 1.8 where, of course, Paul is excoriating those Galatians for having left the faith. And one of the things he says in verse 8, you know, even if an angel, an angel from heaven, specifically not just a messenger, but an angel from heaven, should proclaim a gospel to you contrary to what you proclaim, let me be cursed. And he even says it again. <laughs> yes, he repeats that twice. So even if an angel from heaven were to appear and tell you something different from what's in the Bible, different 
a different gospel. In other words, a message that contradicts the message of message of Jesus in the gospels, then we know that's wrong. And Paul repeats twice that they should be accursed. So that's something to remember there. Now, I did have a note here. Now, we may believe that we are not worthy or capable, but I'm going to tell you that we don't really need to be either of those things. We'll never be worthy of God's salvation anyway, right? But we just need to be willing to share the word of God and just share what we know. We don't have to share anything beyond what we know, but just share what we know. Let the word of God do its job. Does anybody have anything else before we move into the next section? Okay. So if we look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 25, let's read those verses, and then we'll look at the, uh, the questions and everything with that. Now when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he departed to Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he came and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the, Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Pardon me. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. Great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So, we look at question four, where did Jesus begin his public ministry? Capernaum, right? The region of Galilee, which is in Capernaum, right? Because he went to Capernaum. Basically, it's saying that Jesus established like his home in Capernaum for a while. I don't know for how long, or if that was always his home and he just didn't always go back to it, but yes. Well, yeah, the Sea of Galilee up there, that's where 
Capernaum is, right? Yeah, yeah, like if you lived in, uh, well, if you live in Cleveland, you're right on the lake if you go up to that part, you know, um, where we've been up there before. So, but, uh, but yeah, so Jesus went to Capernaum. He started his ministry there in Galilee. Uh, now this region was called the Galilee of the Gentiles because it was surrounded by a lot of non-Jewish territories. Like you have Syria all up in there. And, uh, I can't see everything from here. Um, but we have Syria to the north. We have the Phoenicians to the west over here on the, in the beach, I'll say. Uh, you have Samaria to the south down here. And then you have the Decapolis area over there, right? Hopefully I'm pointing that right. But that's all over to the east of Jordan. So, um, so that's where he began his public ministry. Now, well, okay, I've kind of answered my own question here. So I was going to say, fulfilling what prophecy, right? So I apologize for that, but it's Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. And we really saw part of that here in the, uh, in the text. Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in the in Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. So what prompted Jesus to go to Galilee? Or Capernaum, if you want to be specific. Yes, Dan? Right. John the Baptist was imprisoned, right? Now, Josephus, I'm sorry, Josephus reports that John was held at, I'm going to pronounce this as best I can, it's Macarus or Macarus. I'm not sure exactly how you say that. Uh, on the map, well, I don't have the map. Hold on. Pardon me. Macarius is down here. And that might lead you to think that this is the guy that rules Judea that's the problem that has imprisoned John, but that would be wrong because that's what I thought, but that was wrong. It's Antipas that rules Galilee, and he has this weird-shaped kingdom that he's in charge of, and he actually rules that part. And it's him that has put John in prison, Antipas, not, uh, what was the other guy's name? I've got it here. Not Arc. Or Calus. I'm just going to say it that way. That's probably not correct. But not the ruler of Judea, but the, the guy, the Herod, that is ruling Galilee. That's the, that's the guy. So that may be a little confusing. Sorry about that. But uh, So then we've talked about this. Um, where did Jesus make his home? Capernaum. You know, back up, up, back up on the northwest edge of uh, the uh, Sea of Galilee. So... Then, how much time passed between Jesus' baptism and verse 12 where it says, where the Bible says that Jesus heard of John's imprisonment and he left to go to Capernaum? We don't know, right? We don't have a way to know. All we know for sure of is from the time of Jesus' baptism to this time, at least 40 days have passed. More, probably, but at least 40 days. 
because he had to go through all the temptation and the fasting. So, other than that, we really can't be sure. Maybe longer, but we're not sure. Now, I wanted to show the the areas because the prophecy is about uh, Zebulun and Naphtali, and you'll notice that's where this is about where Capernaum would be, and that's Naphtali and that's Zebulun. So, just to point that out on the map. This was the breakdown of the, the tribes, the way their lands were broken down. So, okay. So what is this light mentioned in the prophecy? Some of these may seem like simple questions, but I just want to make sure we understand everything. Well, it's, yeah, Dan? The Word of God, the Messiah came. Right, Jesus is the light of the world. So Jesus, so we're all we're all on the same page. Jesus, his ministry is beginning. Jesus is that light. His ministry is that light. He's starting, right? So, um, so let's see now. Then you look at the way that that prophecy, the way that verse is stated. It says, "Upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned." Now, why would you think it would be stated that way? That they're in a region of... Uh, uh, let me say that again. Region and shadow of death. Well, they weren't walking in God's ways. They needed to change change their ways and to follow God, right? Um, also contrasting the world of death we live in, right? Uh, the world of death we live into the kingdom of life that Jesus brings to us and was bringing to them as well. And also, there's also the idea that they are surrounded. If we go, give me just a moment, we go back. All those areas I told you around them are all like non-Jewish regions. They're considered all, well, even Samaria is considered not a Jewish region. You know, they, they do not view the Samarians to be on the same footing with them. So all those are non-Jew regions, so they would consider them to be, they would consider Galilee to be surrounded by the ungodly. So there's there's all those different ways you can look at that that could be possible. Um, so if we look at question five, what was the theme of Jesus preaching? If you look at verse 17. Repent, right? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? Now, in other Gospels, I think it says uh, the kingdom of God. Like if we look in Luke, we'll see that. Um, we'll see it called the kingdom of God a lot of times. So kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God. Um, but, so the word for preach here means to proclaim. Like as a herald, he's proclaiming this. It's like, going forth in the name of the king, proclaiming something. It is a fact. It is real. It is what it is. It's, there's not, you know, it's not anything else like stating a law. It's a, it's a certainty. There's authority in these proclamations. And the message is from a source beyond the herald even. So this is coming from God the Father. Jesus says he speaks only what the Father tells him. You see, you'll see that in John chapter 12, verse 49, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me gave me a command, what I should say and what I should speak. 
So then why, why the kingdom of heaven, or like I said, in other places it's called the kingdom of God, why that, why that, why the kingdom of heaven is at hand, why that? Yes. Right. Jesus is the way, and he's proclaiming this new covenant that, yeah, that he's going to bring about himself. Do you have something, man? The, the king. He's the king. He's come. That's that's the good news. And he's the king. Uh, of course, we would talk about the church and all the things that are coming with what he's bringing here. Right. Right. So he, Jesus is the king. He's bringing the kingdom of God. It's the kingdom that. Uh, that you know, God in heaven is its source. It's spiritual in nature, not physical. Um, it speaks of God's rule in our hearts and in our lives, and, and of us being citizens of that kingdom. So it's not an earthly kingdom of men, and there's no salvation in any kingdom of this earth when we think of that. And there's no safety or security in an earthly state or nation. So what is a kingdom comprised of so that we understand what a kingdom is? Again, some of this may be basic, but just, you know. Yes. A king and his subjects, right? I think that's that's good. I was thinking there's similar, a ruler. Who's our ruler? Jesus, right? And then our subjects, that being Christians, you know, we are the Lord's subjects, right? We are his citizens, yes. Usually there's a land, although we might think of it in spiritual terms. Right. Usually there is a place. And that was the third part that I was looking at, too. The place. And where is the kingdom of heaven? And if you remember what Jesus said, he said his kingdom was not of this earth. Right. And that's true. He also said in Luke 17, verses 20 and 21. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Now some translations say, in your midst. I think, however we want to look at that, I think spiritually he's just saying that the kingdom of God is here and now. We are in that spiritually, not physically. It's not a physical of this, of this world place. Not yet. It will be, but not yet. So. Now, is Jesus preaching, his, his way of preaching, is that an example for us? Well, I would. Yes, I would think yes, right? The only, the only difference you might say is when we, when we are preaching, we should be pointing to the return of Jesus, right? He was. He was pointing to the coming of the kingdom, the spiritual kingdom. And we should, be, we should be pointing to his return and pointing to God and heaven to come, right? Very similar, but a little, maybe slightly different. But salvation is only in Jesus. He's the door. He's the door to God and to heaven. So that should be our focus and the fact that he's returning, that Jesus is returning. Does anybody have anything else on that? Okay, so if we look at question six, who were the four fishermen called to follow Jesus? That's in verses 18 to 22. James. James. And John. And John, and yep. Andrew and Peter. Andrew and Peter, right? 
So these four guys, and I think both of these were brothers, right? Andrew and Peter, James and John, both brothers. And they're called from their fishing business, basically. That was their, I guess, their family business or however they made their living. Pardon me. Verse 19, notice what Jesus says. He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So if we follow Jesus, who makes us fishers of men? Jesus, right? Because we can't do this ourselves. It takes the Lord to change us and to make us his representative. Like I said before, even if we don't feel worthy or capable, we can still share the word of God. We can still be fishers of men. So then we say, well, who's responsible for any catch? Jesus, Jesus right? Yeah, Jesus, the Word of God. He is responsible. We don't really catch anyone. It's the Word of God. It's the power of the Word of God, which does not return to Him void, right? That is what does it. That's what does the work. Even if we do not see the results or the harvest, because a lot of times you may go years and never see what you would, what we as humans would consider results. But if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither who he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. So we may plant or water and not see it, but God, God makes it happen and it does happen. And we have to trust him and his word. We are workers, we do our part, but it's all to God's glory because it's his power, the power of his word that makes it happen. But we just keep sowing the seed and, and doing the watering, right? We keep bringing the word, and that's what we do. Well, that's our part. God needs us to do that. that, that you know, Christ is not on the earth anymore, but he has us. Yep. God has called us to do that, right? That's. called us, and we have to do that part in order to God to give the increase. Because if man has never heard about Christ or the kingdom of God or anything, that he doesn't make what to worship. He'll worship anything. Right. People who've never heard the word of God will worship anything. They've done it in the past, and they'll continue to do it if they don't know any better, right? Yes, sir, it's up to us to spread that word. Yep, we have to spread the gospel. That is up to us. That We are the messengers. We are the body of Christ here in this world. Christ is still the head, just like we're talking about the ruler. He's the ruler. But we're his his body, his hands and feet here. We we have to do the work. So let's see. Um what did these men do when they were called, when Jesus called them? Right. They immediately followed, they left the boat and followed, right? That's right. Both both those are correct. They left immediately. Verses twenty and twenty-two, they left their nets, their boat, and even their father. If you think about that, you're a young man and maybe your dad's old, but you're leaving him and going, right? So, I mean, it, it's something to think about what they were doing. And I'm not putting it down. I'm saying that was their dedication, right? They were in, you know. But what does that tell you about these men? Before I get off on that, what does that tell you about these men? Just loosely, I was thinking, you know, First, God knew who to choose. Jesus knew who to choose. Did you have something? They took it seriously. They took it seriously, right? Right. Did you have something? No. Oh, Matt. <laughs> Rachel. Matt and Rachel. Um, I think it shows they were trusting. I don't know that they knew who this Jesus person was. Yeah. 
person was. They were trusting, though, weren't they? Right. I don't know for sure either, but it doesn't say. Yeah, it's similar to that, I, I guess. Um, it, from what I understand, it was customary for different rabbis, different teachers, to call different people to follow them, and then that was sort of an honor to follow. So that may have been kind of what how they saw it at this point. Obviously, we know it was much more than that. Okay. Uh, but but it's not clear that they recognized he's the Messiah right here, because, of course, we see later they that'll be a big deal with them. Okay. So it was a custom for rabbis to call people to follow them, right? Yes. Sometimes, yeah. Okay, so that does remind you of people who have to. Who, I know that's not really the case in this situation. Right, it may not be. But yeah, we know that uh, sometimes that does happen. You're in a family, they don't follow God, and you choose to follow the Lord. And sometimes, even though you don't initiate cutting any ties, maybe they cut ties with you and you end up separated from your family somewhat. That can happen. Yes. Well, that's true. God called Abraham to come out and away from his family. Yeah. Yeah. And Jesus tells us that, you know, it, it brings division. He brings division in that sense, not in a mean way, but just that when we choose to follow him, sometimes that's going to cause division in our lives with other people. Um, so, yeah. So that was somewhat of a custom. Yes. Thinking about leaving their father, kind of in my mind, I feel like Matthew's not telling us a lot here. Like I'm wondering, well, was Zebedee like, "What are you guys doing? I need, I need you here to mend the nets," or, or was he perhaps pleased that, "Oh, my sons are having a good teacher," you know? We start told, right? We are told we we can't be a hundred percent sure if at this point they knew who Jesus was or not. Maybe they did know he was uh, a teacher or a rabbi. I don't know that. Yes. Right. He's not asking them to do anything he did not do himself. That's true. He did leave the Father to come to earth, right? Okay. So now perhaps they had heard of Jesus and wanted to follow him. But, you know, God knew who they, who he was choosing. Jesus did. They were in a place in their life where they were ready and willing, right? And then we have to ask ourselves, well, are we ready and willing? Are we ready and willing to do what we're called to do, what Jesus asks us to do? Right. Right. He he was starting his ministry, so they may have heard of him, and he would have been a local guy. Notice this is Sea of Galilee, and he was in Capernaum, so he could have just been a local teacher they had heard of. We we don't know for sure. That could be the indication. Yes. It's interesting in verse twenty-two. It says immediately. Yes, immediately. It wasn't like, what do you think about this? Let me talk to dad, and let me let me talk to my brothers, and like let's. Yeah, it was immediately. It's like they immediately, that's why I say Jesus knew who he was choosing, who he was calling. These guys were ready. They were willing. They were prepared. Uh, maybe not prepared in the sense that Jesus was prepared, but they were ready to follow him and learn, right? So that's an important thing. So what types of men were they? If we look at just these four guys, just in general. Just everyday old fishermen. Right, just regular old fishermen, right? They were ordinary people working ordinary jobs, right? Nothing really. 
They weren't priests, they weren't rich, they weren't teachers, they weren't politically or socially powerful in any way. They were basically unknown. They were humble, normal, with flaws, and very much like us in a lot of ways. Just like when you read the Old Testament and you look at the Israelites, very much like us in so many ways. So then we just have to ask ourselves, is this an example for us? Are we called to be fishers and ministers for God? And the answer, of course, yeah, it's obvious, right? Yes, that is. That is an example for us, and we are called to do those things. If we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, and he himself, Paul, speaking of uh, the Lord, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. So, who is being equipped? The saints, right? The saints are being equipped. That's that's the whole, that's everybody. The saints are being equipped, and what are they being equipped for? For the work of ministry, right? So we all have this ministry. And then, who are the saints? All of us, the body of Christ. So that is, this is why we teach and educate each other for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. You know, we're all called to be ministers of the gospel in our lives. So let's see, let's um, look at question seven. How did Jesus conduct his ministry in Galilee? That's in verses 23 and 24. Um, I guess you could say what, what were the things he was doing in his ministry? It says he was, right, he was teaching in the synagogues. Preaching. Yep, and then he was healing all, he was teaching and preaching in the synagogues. He was healing all kinds of diseases and sicknesses, including demon possession. And, oh, I didn't, I hadn't moved through my slides. Here was my fisherman slide, sorry about that. But our prophecy here is Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. Say to those who are fearful, fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the rep recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb sing. For water shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. I was really focusing more on the last two verses, but I kind of included that first one because he will come and save you. I mean, all those things. Jesus is coming with power the power of God to save. Um, verse 23, what are synagogues? In case anyone doesn't know, what's a synagogue? Yes? Kind of what we might call a church building, but for the Jewish people. Yeah, right. It's kind of like this. It's a local church, right? Not everyone lived close enough to the temple. They couldn't go to the temple on a regular basis. They lived miles and miles away. They didn't have our modern conveniences we go 30 miles in 30 minutes, that's days of walking for them. So that was not possible. So they would have local synagogues. So that kind of idea. Um, let's see. It's yes. an interesting thing. Maybe, maybe it's interesting to me. But no. in James chapter 2, uh, where you know the man that's not dressed up, you know, how we should treat people, uh, 
the same. He says, for if a man comes into your assembly dressed with a gold ring and dressed with bright clothes and all that, uh, that word assembly there is actually the synagogue. It's usually translated synagogue. It's kind of interesting. That a little bit of a oh. alliance back in the first century about that. Okay, so that's James chapter 2. And verse 2. Let me just pull that up here. Because that, that is interesting and that's good to know. It says, For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come in a poor man in filthy clothes. Now here this word, James is talking about if someone comes in and, you know, how you we shouldn't treat the rich better than the poor, etc., etc. But the word for assembly there is translated is the same word as for synagogue. So... That's just something interesting. Like someone, so basically, if someone comes into your local church, you should treat everybody as a very welcome and esteemed visitor, right? We should be very glad to have them there. Yes. If you think about the very, very, very early church, these Jewish people converting to follow Jesus as the Messiah. I mean, it would have been, it would have been like, well, here's where we meet now as followers right. of Christ, you know. So they, the words kind of changed later on. Yeah, the words kind of change. Well, really, if you think about it, you can't go to a synagogue or the temple and have a Christian ceremony. I mean, that's really not going to go over, right? I mean, they tried to do that some. We know that they did go to the temple and preach Jesus. But I'm just saying, in an ongoing fashion, you see the conflict between the Jews and the Christians in the first century. So you couldn't just always go to the synagogue and preach and teach Jesus. So that's... That's why we have our own churches now, right? Paul tried it a lot and got in trouble. Yeah, Paul tried it a lot. Paul tried it a lot and got in trouble. So we do see that conflict, and we see that they, they did do that and tried to do that for some time. But, yes? On number seven, it says, how would you conduct your ministry? The first thought I had was that we had love. We showed love and compassion. We went out to the people. And, yes. And, um, you know, all of this work that we did was to glorify the Yes, everything Jesus did was to glorify the Father, but he had that love and compassion for these people, right? Healing all these things that they had wrong with them. He had all this love and compassion for them. Um, I think, think we're out of time here for this morning. So let me stop here and we'll come back and, oh, do you have something, Judy, for me? Could you put that map back a little, uh, Uh, well, hold on. That map? No, the, the, the other one. The tribes. The tribes. This one? Yes. Okay. I, I just wanted to point out where the, uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee and where the Jordan River runs down to the Dead Sea. Yes. Now, that's what they're saying, from the river to the... Oh, you're thinking of today. I, to oh, I, yes, I'm definitely thinking of today. And then the area from up above the... Sea of Galilee and all of this over here, East Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben, all of that area, they don't even claim. Right. Israel does not even claim. Is, today, if you look at this, Israel doesn't claim all this Eastern territory. Yeah, and that's where Zebulon National, that must be Lebanon now. Um, I, I think. Rats. I don't remember exactly where Lebanon is right now. Yeah, it is in that. Just, it's over I there. I to point out the fact that actually the Jews had more land than they're even claiming. Oh, yeah. They gave up. They had a whole huge piece of Egypt yeah. back in the 60s, and they gave that back over to them when Egypt said, hey, we'll, we'll, we'll um, commit to peace with you. They had a peace treaty, and we won't attack you anymore. 
And they said, okay, you can have your land back. So people who kind of run Israel down are not paying attention to history. Well, you had that up there. I wanted yeah. to point that out. Yeah, because what, what they say is, uh, what these people say is they say, from the, the, yeah. if, you, if you run down the edge of Gad down to the sea here, they're saying from there to, to the sea, they want to wipe out all of Israel. They want to kill all the Jews. They want to run them off of that. Yeah. Yes. One of the other sayings is from the dead to the med. And they mean oh. dead, the Dead Sea down farther south and then to the Mediterranean, dead to the Med. Well, if you say, and okay, I hadn't heard that, but if they say from the Dead to the Med, they mean from the Dead Sea down here across to the Mediterranean over here, and there you're just going to wipe out all of Judah and uh, Jerusalem. And, but they, they really mean all of it, yes. Anyway, they, they really, well, they really want to wipe out all of, all of the Jews. So, And that's just the enmity they have in their hearts. So. I'm sorry, but I just, I just wanted to bring that up. <laughs> yes, that's, that's what they're talking about in today's terms. So. But thank you all for your time and attention. We'll pick up here uh, next week. Thank you very much.